I wear the trophies of youth camp. Thank you, Michael. Yeah, uh, my, my new rapper name is Two Trophies. Uh, I'd like you to know that. That's what I'm going to go with. Uh, and I'm not wearing them the whole time, but um, my, the kids wanted me to let you know about camp and the trophies. Okay, so uh, youth camp, there were 900 kids, 40 churches. We were number one in volleyball. I don't want to tell you who the best kid was, but that was mine. And um, dodgeball. We won in dodgeball. And so, um, very, very exciting. Now, we prayed about camp last week at the end of church. Uh, we had kids go to, go to youth camp. I think we had 19 kids go to youth camp and 11 children go to kids camp. And lots of cool things happened. Um, Several young people and children made commitments to Christ for the first time in their lives, gave their lives to Jesus. Several uh, made commitments to uh, ministry, wanting to you know, live for, for Christ completely. And so, really, really cool. We didn't get to go, all of us, but we did get to uh, uh, pray for those children and young people. And so, thank you for doing that. Um, Good news, we have a young man who will be coming on as our student pastor. He's also going to work with our groups. And so he'll start uh, August the 1st. Uh, his name is Josiah Gooch. Uh, he's young, energetic, um, cute. It's like looking in the mirror. Uh, and so uh, um, excited to have him. And um, we'll introduce you to him. Not next Sunday. Uh, next Sunday is his last Sunday at his other church. But he'll come on with us. August 1st. So the first Sunday with us will be August 7th. So we'll talk more about him next week, but um, really excited about that. He, we got to go out and introduce him to the kids that were at camp, but um, good, good things happened at camp, and I thank you for praying about that. Uh, okay, so let's jump into to what we're going to do today. This little microphone is messing me up. Hold on just a second. Okay, so we're, we're looking at parables. Jesus tells these amazing stories, and they it's it's just really really cool okay so today we're talking about the parable of the sower oh I gotta turn it on parable of the sower if you've been at church much of your life or any of your life um, you've probably heard this story uh, a, a farmer goes out and he sows seed really the the uh, uh, it should be called the parable of, of the soil honestly and we'll talk about that in just a second but Jesus tells these stories all right so Jesus is the wisest, the smartest, and usually when you're around somebody really, really smart, they have a way of letting you know how smart they are. Uh, you, you, you know this experience. So you go to a doctor, and they're really, really smart. You don't get through med school without being super smart, but they use terminology that we don't understand, and so I'm like, can you help me understand you know, what you're talking about? Uh, so they just have different language. Lawyers have different language. Uh, these are law These are law phrases or words, malfeasance. Who knows? Uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, habeas corpus, that means you have to produce the corpse. I do know this. You have to produce the person. So I think the idea behind habeas corpus is um, uh, the, the judge would order, hey, the police have to, or the whoever's holding this person has to show uh, the, them the person, they have to bring the person forward and, and tell why he's being held or she's being held captive. Um, intestate. Uh, in Kentucky, if you said somebody was intestate, uh, that, that they died intestate, we would say, what intestate did they die on? I-95, uh, I-75. Um, 
Intestate actually means they died without a will. And so, I mean, why don't they just say that? Dude died without a will. But no, you have to have fancy words. Um, prima facie, nothing. I got no idea. Uh, stare decisis means that it's a decision that's already been made. And, and so there's a precedent that's set. Theologians have big words too. People that study the Bible and stuff. Uh, ex nihilio means it's uh, out of nothing, and so God created out of nothing. And that's, but we can't say He created out of nothing. We have to use a big word. Eisegesis, that means you're reading the Scripture and you have a preconceived notion, and you sort of apply your notion onto Scripture. You read into Scripture what you want it to say. Uh, eschatological, that means end time stuff. It's about the end of time. And pedantic is sort of a, it's a negative term. It means somebody that is pretentious with their knowledge. And Jesus wasn't that. So, so Jesus in his brilliance decides that he's going to teach in a way that is the most effective. And story is really, really effective way to teach. And so Jesus tells these parables. Now, I don't know that I ever noticed it so much, but about a third of, what, of the words recorded of Jesus are, are in connection to a story. And you remember stories. That's just how it works. And so Jesus, the smartest, wisest man who ever lived, decided, you know, the best way to teach is through parables. And so he teaches all these fascinating stories. And so he tells this story because he wants, more than anything else, for us to grow spiritually. He wants us to be spiritually thriving. And so the best way to do that, he figured, uh, and, and he would know, is to tell these stories. And so he tells uh, these, these amazing, amazing stories. Now, those of you who are parents, the one thing you want for your kids is you want them to grow. I mean, it's kind of you want them to, to have growth. And I remember our first baby, when she came home, her name is Amaris, she weighed seven pounds. Uh, seven to two or something, I don't remember now. Uh, it's been a long time. Uh, she, we, she weighed about seven pounds. And then at our one-year checkup, she weighed about 21 pounds. She had tripled in size. She ate and ate and ate. And I thought to myself, man, if she doesn't slow down by the time she's four, she's going to weigh 500 pounds. And so uh, I, I did the math. It was 567. It's like, oh, my word. So uh, growth, though, is what we want for our children. I have a picture of my daughter, Mallory. I just wanted to show you. Look at that hair. We didn't know if we had a Chia pet or a kid. I was like, good grief. <laughs> Holy cow. Now, when you have kids, you want them to develop. It's really what you want. And so, parents are so funny. First kid parents are funny. Because it's like you have that baby, and, and then, and then they, they roll over. And you would think they discovered the cure for cancer. I mean, it's like you throw a party, you've posted on Facebook. I mean, it's on Instagrams everywhere. Oh, uh, uh, little, little Jill rode over. And then what's next? Oh, they, they're going to pull up. Oh, they're pulling up. Oh, everybody can tell everybody, pulling up. And then what's next, everybody? Walking. And you want that until they start walking. You clap, you, you make over them like it's the greatest thing. You do know, don't you, that there are billions of people on the planet who walk. But for you, this kid walking, that is a big, big deal. Until, until one day you're in the bathroom and they walk in. And then it's not, not as great all of a sudden. 
Now you're hoping they don't walk. But, but every parent wants their kid to develop. In fact, there's a term for a child who doesn't develop. It's called failure to thrive. And doctors look for this. And that's why you take your child to the pediatrician to show them so they can kind of chart, uh, my child is on the right path of growth. And if they're not on the right path of growth, then the the doctor has an obligation to to investigate. I mean, is it it an issue with nourishment? Are they not getting the right food? Is it an issue of neglect? Are they not being taken care of? Is it an issue of disease? Is there something going on inside their little bodies that's preventing them to grow? Because... We, growth is expected. It, it, it's the right thing. It's the thing that we really, really want. We need them to grow. And if they're not growing, if there's a failure to thrive, something is wrong. Well, for us spiritually, no matter what age we are, God wants you to thrive spiritually. He wants you to grow spiritually. And so Jesus, in His wisdom, decided one of the best ways, maybe the best way to teach is through these stories. And so we find ourselves today in Matthew chapter 13. What's really interesting about, about, um, about God's notion for us, if you look at Jesus' teaching like the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you know, blessed are you who, uh, you know, kind of can, can, can uh, 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 who help the poor and those sorts of things, what God wants is for you from, let's say from today until next week, he wants you to, to grow spiritually. And so the person I couldn't love before, maybe eventually I can, can love. And, and where I might not have used to be generous, now I, I, he wants me to be more generous and, and be less materialistic. Maybe uh, there, there's, uh, I used to not be able to, to turn the other cheek, but now I can turn the other cheek. And so uh, he wants us to develop these, these skills. And so we find ourselves today in Matthew chapter 13. If you have your Bibles, that's where we're going to be. By the way, this story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This is one, you sort of wonder, did Jesus tell this more than once? Because it is a great, great story. And again, if you've been in church much, you've heard it before. We're going to kind of walk through it. Now you'll recall that the posture of someone teaching in that day was to sit and the posture of someone who was listening back in that day was to stand. It's exactly opposite of what we're doing today. And so it says, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. He was taking the posture of a teacher. And such large crowds gathered around him that he eventually, there was too big, no, people couldn't see him, they're all standing. And so he gets into a boat and he pushes out a bit in the boat and he sat in it And while all the people stood on the shore. He took the posture of a teacher He's saying, basically by sitting down, this is something uh, that you're going to want to take note of. And the people standing are saying, by standing, they're saying, we are going to be receptive to your teaching. So they're willing to listen to what Jesus has to say. And then verse 3 says this. Then he told them many things in a parable, saying, a farmer went out to sow his seeds. And everybody there would have seen this before. Now, I suppose if you grew up, like if you were born in New York and you grew up in New York, you've never seen anybody sowing seeds. I'm not sure many South Carolinians like, uh, like us could say, well, we never saw anybody you know, sowing seeds. I've done it. You may have done it. Uh, it's not that uncommon. It's not exactly the way they did it back then. But even, even I have sown seed like this, like they would have done back in the day. It could be that Jesus sitting on the boat says, there was a man who went out into his field to sow seeds, like that dude over there. 
Because it would be sort of an amphitheater situation. And, and you know, the, the hills would kind of come down into the lake and there's Jesus on this boat and he's saying, maybe he said, hey, like that guy. Because it was a common occurrence for people to see somebody sowing seeds. And Jesus has this really cool way of taking the natural and, and, and transforming it into a supernatural story or a tale. He has this, uh, this ability to take something material and, and sort of transform it into something spiritual. And that's exactly what he does here. Look, there's a guy sowing seeds. And then he tells the story. As he was scattering the seeds, some fell, fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it, it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no roots. Other seed fell along, uh, I'm sorry, among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what's sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And this parable is basically about hearing the voice of God. Because if you're going to thrive, you've got to read God's Word. You have to apply God's Word. The secret to spiritual growth is God's Word. You've got to read it. You have to apply it. It's not, you can't just read it. You have to apply it. All right, so we're going to take a quiz. Everybody ready? Everybody got their thinking caps on? Quiz time. Just shout out if you know what this picture is. CB radio. Great. Okay. How many of you had a CB or have a CB? Does anybody have a CB radio anymore? Don't raise your hand. Did anybody have a CB radio? Oh, not many of you. Okay. Are y'all too sophisticated? Okay. All right. So, Noah, do you know what a CB radio is? They do, yeah, put them in trucks, that's right. Noah's so smart. Okay, so, my daddy was a truck driver. What you would do is you would have a CB radio, and it's the way you communicated with fellow drivers. <laughs> Today we use hand signals, uh, but that's totally different. Uh, uh, not the same, not the same. So, who can tell me, uh, those of you who know about CBs, uh, if you were... Uh, wanting to communicate with your fellow drivers in the area. Now, this you know, didn't go crazy far, I don't think. Uh, you had a little antenna on your car. And if you wanted to communicate with somebody, what did you say? Breaker, breaker. And everybody had a nickname. What was that called? A handle. Everybody had a handle. Anybody want to tell me what their handle was? Loose connection. Loose connection, Logan. That's nice. All right. Anybody? What? Southern Mule. Okay. All right, Michael. You know, there's a lot of things you can do with that. Uh, but I'm in the pulpit. Okay, all right. Anybody else? Carolina Cowboy. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I was Joe Mama. Because uh, that, that's, uh, that was funny. Okay, so... Jesus at the end of that story says, whoever has ears, let them hear. If you're on a CB, you would say, breaker, breaker, rubber ducky, you got your ears on. That's how you wanted to find out if rubber ducky was listening or cowboy concierge or whatever that was. Uh, that's how you found out if they were listening or not. And so, 
Jesus is, <laughs> Jesus is so progressive. Even before CBs were even invented, he's like, you got your ears on. That's what he's basically saying here. If you have ears to hear, you need to listen to this. Now, this story is really simple. There are three elements. You have a sower, and you have seed, and you have soil. Now, it's not about a good sower and a bad sower. The sower is consistent. The one thing we see about the sower is he sows lavishly. He's got, he has no care about you know, where he's going to plant seed. He just throws it everywhere. It seems that he is like just very eager to get the seed out. He, he doesn't seem to take a whole lot of care in where the seed goes. He's just happy to get the seed out of the bag into the field. Now, it's also not a story about good seed and bad seed. All the seed, if given a chance, will grow. Every seed in this story, if given a chance, grows. Some grows better than others, but the seed, there's no problem. It's not good seed and bad seed. So the one element that is in flux here, the one element that, that, that does change is the soil. It, it's the soil. Now, that's the variable. The variable is the soil. Now, when Jesus tells stories, the, when I'm reading a Jesus story, I have a tendency to think, all right, how do I, who am I in this story? So in the, in the story of the prodigal son, uh, do I fit in, in that story, am I the prodigal son? Or am I the good son? Or do I have characteristics of the father? Who, who am I in that story? It's funny, this story, I have a tendency <laughs> to judge people. Like, you know, uh, my cousin, oh, he's weedy, you know, uh, he's a weedy grass and a uh, weedy ground. And, and you know, my, my sister is, is this kind of person. But let's do some self-analysis. Here's the funny thing about this story, or the interesting thing. Basically, the soil is the receptivity of our souls to what God has for us. It's kind of the whole story. God is the sower, the seed is his word. The soil is me and you. And what I find is I have kind of been all four of those at times in my life. Sometimes I'm hardened soil and sometimes I'm weedy soil. And, and, and so sometimes I'm really receptive and I listen and I do. But today we're going to do some soil analysis, some soul analysis, some heart analysis. Where do I fit today in thriving on God's Word? So let's talk about the soils. The first soil is hard. He says a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Now, in, in uh, that setting in Israel, um, where Jesus taught, very dry climate. So you'd plow the soil, but you'd leave a path. So if I'm, the, if I'm the farmer, I've got a bag of seed on my shoulder, slung over my shoulder, and I'm walking the path. That, from what experts say, it's about three feet wide. And they don't want to take up all the ground, obviously, but you, want, you have to have a place. And so he would cast seed this way and then cast seed this way and walk and cast both ways. That's kind of what he would do. Now, what you didn't really want was the seed to fall along the path. It's hard. It's dry, so when the rain happens, the rain would kind of roll off and go into the tilled soil, the furrowed soil, and you really didn't want that. And then the other thing you really didn't want is for birds to come and take up the seed. 
And even today, birds are a problem. I mean, that's why we have scarecrows. And sometimes you'll drive by a garden and somebody will have like a, tin, like a, a pie pan uh, on a string and it kind of spins. And the idea is you're supposed to keep the crows away from your garden or your, your seed. But I've been around where, where farmers are plowing and a lot of times the birds kind of follow the, the plow because the, it churns up seeds from last season. And so birds are an issue. And, and this is, this whole thing is, okay, sometimes God's Word just can't penetrate your soul. Now there are reasons for this. Sometimes it's fear. The fear might be, okay, I'm going to read something here and then I'm going to be responsible for it because now I've read it and I know what God wants me to do and I really don't want to do that. I'm afraid that God is going to call me to do something I don't want to do. And so I just don't want to do that. Another reason people, our hearts, my heart sometimes, is hard is pride. I don't want to change. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I don't think I need to change. And so I'm kind of prideful. And, and Jesus encountered people that were prideful a lot in his ministry. They're called Pharisees and teachers of the law. And they thought they had it all figured out. And anybody that approaches God's word without some measure of willingness to hear something new or some place that might need to be tweaked in their life, well, that's a sense of pride. I, I'm too proud. I, I don't want to do this. Another reason sometimes, and, and this is you and me, sometimes we're sort of mad at God. Maybe He didn't do what we thought He ought to do. We prayed for something and we didn't get it. Um, one of our loved ones has died. We're not in a good season with God. We're sort of, we're sort of angry with the Lord. And so at that point, I just, I'm really not willing to listen and so sometimes I just don't listen. Uh, I hear it, maybe I read it, but it's like, you know, the seed is there, but it's like, I'm, I don't even care what God wants right now. Sometimes we're like that. What's really interesting about Jesus telling parables, I think he told parables because it was a way to penetrate people's hearts even when they weren't receptive to his words. In fact, uh, the disciples said, hey, Jesus, why do you speak to the people in parables? But parables are these amazing stories that people knew. And we still resonate with stories. We, we just do. I mean, uh, you, you, you see commercials and sometimes it'll be like, uh, uh, my clothes are brighter with OxyClean. And you're like, well, I don't know who you are, but that's kind of cool that your stuff is better. Or you'll see a guy, this always happens with weight loss stuff. There's a before and after picture. And the guy says, you know, I used to weigh 400 pounds, but then I went on the all-pizza diet, but I take this pill, and now I'm 200 pounds. And you're like, well, I like pizza. That's a diet for me, and I'll take a pill. I can take a pill. And, and so testimony is a great way to sell. Story is a great way to sell. Remember this guy? This, this makes me laugh. The LifeLock guy? He gave out his real social security number. My name is Todd Davis, and I'm so uh, confident of LifeLock that I'll give you my social security number. Guy's identity was stolen 13 times. Uh, no lie. Uh, so some, but story is effective. You're like, well, if he's willing to do that. So Jesus tells these stories, and they're sort of like little time bombs. You, you hear the story. You go home, and you're having dinner, and then it's like, Oh, 
That's what he was talking about. Oh, oh, I'm in that story. This is who I was in that story. Right now, that applies to me. And so Jesus tells these amazing, amazing stories that penetrate people's lives. Now, the Hebrew word for parable is machal. Don't say it, you'll spit on people. Uh, Machal. It literally means to solve a puzzle. And so people go home and they start to think about the words that Jesus said. And it's like, oh, that's what he meant. And here's the good news. About about soil. Is, Is that it doesn't take much. doesn't take much of a crack. Look at this picture. It doesn't take much of a crack for a seed to take root. Here's the thing I know about soil. I don't know a lot about soil, but here's what I suspect about soil. If I were to go out to my yard and say, Soil, I'd like to plow you today. I think the soil would probably say, Dude, I'm a hard pass on that plow. You know, I don't really want to be plowed. But thank you for the offer, but it's a no for me. Now, I would think soil doesn't like to be turned over. Soil doesn't like to be disturbed. I would think soil doesn't like to take the spade. I would think it just really doesn't. But, in order for us to have the most growth, sometimes you have to plow the soil. You got to. And God has to plow the soil of our hearts on on occasions. And sometimes that's really difficult and we don't even like it. I, I go through some tough times and I'm like, I don't really want to do that. I, I, I would like to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, please, God. And I think God would say to us, okay, to be healthy, wealthy, and wise, you may have to be plowed first. I would suspect the soil doesn't like the plow. But again, the good news is, it only takes a little crack for God to penetrate. I, I, I love our church. I, I like the building. I like the parking lot. Except, there are cracks in our parking lot. Do you know what gets into cracks in our parking lot? Seeds. Seeds get in every crack in our parking lot. You know what they do if there's ever rain? Uh, you remember rain? It's the stuff that comes out of the sky. When that happens, and it gets in the cracks in the parking lot where there are seeds, those seeds look just like this. They grow. And I'm out there with my, uh, with my weed killer and I'm killing weeds. Weeds have to, be, uh, have to be eradicated, just how it works. It doesn't take much. It, it is shocking to me. I can, spray the, I can spray the parking lot Thursday and Sunday there'll be more uh, little, little plants coming up. It's like, how can that even be? It's because it doesn't take much. And with God's Word... It just doesn't take much. The good news for hard soil is just give God just a little chance. Some seed was shallow. Now it says some seed fell on rocky places. Understand it's not like rocks in the soil. It's a thin layer of soil over a bedrock of of rock. And so there's, there's just a little bit of soil. Now, when the guy's plowing it, it might, felt, it might have felt good or it might have been enough, but it's just not, it doesn't have a chance. And so it says it, the, the seed sprang up quickly because the soil is shallow, but when the sun came up and plants, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And, and the word for this is superficiality. These are people 
These are us when we make a commitment to the Lord, but it's only a superficial commitment. We'll follow you, Lord, as long as everything goes right. As long as I get my way. Lord, as long as you give me the things I think I deserve, then I'll follow. But if you choose not to give me the things I think I need, then I may not be willing to follow you anymore. And difficulties sometimes happen. It's a testing of our spirits and our souls. And sometimes, sometimes we are just shallow. And our commitments are just shallow. And a lack of commitment is common in the world. It just is. You see it all over the place. And so one has to ask oneself, if I'm making a, a, a soil, a soul analysis, then I'm asking myself, okay, well, how deep am I? Spiritually, how deep am I? Am I able to engage in a, a deep conversation spiritually? Can I talk to somebody with a spiritual conversation? Can, can I have a conversation around a difficult topic with someone? Can, can I receive um, a message from someone that's critical w without wilting? Because sometimes people, people who have your best interest at heart, some of them will tell you something difficult sometimes. When's the last time you had a really deep moment with God? When's the last time you sat down and just, just you and, and your Bible, and, and, and no agenda, you just, you just cut out the clutter, and you just had time? See, for me, my time with, with God is every morning. All right, so this, this is difficult. All right, so I've got, I've got church prep time, sermon prep time, but that's different for me than my personal time with God. So I get up in the morning, I get my coffee. Jesus and me and coffee. That's kind of, you know, my Bible and Jesus and coffee. And I, and I take a little note, a little note card, and, and I have my time with Jesus. Because, as we're going to see in a minute, one of the things you have to do is you have to really focus. And so I don't want to be distracted. So I have a little bit of attention deficit stuff going on, and, and I'll be reading this, and then I'll think, oh, I should do that. And so I have to write that down so I can kind of flush it out of my mind so I can refocus on what God wants. Because here's the third thing. Some soil is weedy. Other seed fell along thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Now, the interesting thing about this, the word for this is clutter. The interesting thing about clutter is clutter sounds like sort of a benign thing. It's really not. It's just clutter. It's like, eh, clutter. Uh, so how big a deal can clutter be? Except Jesus is like, clutter is really, really bad. And, and clutter, the thing about clutter is it can be good things. I mean, uh, there's lots of good things that can be clutter. Now, it could be worries. Sometimes we worry. And, and maybe it's financial worry. Oh, I'm worried about, you know, paying the bills, or I'm worried about my kids, or I'm worried about having a job. You know, there's, the worry can, can choke us if we're not careful. Sometimes it's wealth. Wealth can do that. We're so busy trying to get ahead or make, make a living and that kind of thing that we forget to focus on God. We don't give Him the time that He really deserves. There's a, a magazine out of L.A. called The Good Life. <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, I saw a copy uh, from, from a few years ago, but it was like the first story was you know, about the good life. How to live the good life was fine dining. The, the next article was about weight reduction. It's like, oh, those are, hard to, those are hard to really reconcile sometimes. See, the third thing is pleasure. 
And, and pleasure can be, this is the, the good clutter, except it's not good if it's clutter. But this is, there's nothing wrong with these things. Maybe I'll, I have a hobby. Nothing wrong with a hobby. I think most people need a hobby. I have a hobby. Everybody has a hobby, I think. There's nothing wrong with a hobby. But it can get away from us. It can become clutter. It could be your kid in a, a, sport, uh, a, a sporting event or uh, in a club or, or in something or in, in the band. or in, in that. I mean, that can kind of become clutter. It can be um, you like television. You watch too much television and you can't get away from it. Or you're watching a show, you're binging a show on Netflix or whatever those things are anymore. And, and you're, you, 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 get, you get so enamored with something. It becomes clutter. And clutter is basically, a weed is anything that robs my time from God. Anything. And here's what I've learned about weeds. I'm not a weed expert, but this is what I know. I have never seen a weed say to itself, you know, I'm tired of being here. I'm tired of this yard. I want to go to that yard. You know what weeds do? Weeds hunker down. Weeds invite the friends. Uh, hey, I, I'm a little lonely. I'm the only weed. I need more of my weed friends. They have all the weeds come in, and now they are. They have a weed party. That means two different things, but I think you know where I'm going. Uh, uh, have a party. I should have thought about it before I said it, but I, and then I know some of you are out there like, weed party, I know it. Uh, it's not what I'm talking about. You know it. Come back. Not that kind of weed party. I, have a, uh, I am a, uh, a plant that is a weed. It still doesn't work. Uh, well, you know, I think I lost you. Sorry, I just lost you. Weeds don't go away. <laughs> they, they come to stay. And so unless I am intentional, unless I go out into the parking lot and spray stuff, unless I go in my yard, by the way, by that, I mean, unless Miriam goes into our yard and pulls weeds up, they just stay there. They just stay. Clutter doesn't declutter unless you do it. That's the point. Sometimes you have to declutter. Now, God doesn't want for us a life of clutter or superficiality or bitterness. It's really, really, really not what He wants. I think if you had a direct line to God and you were to say, God, what do you want for my life? He would say, I want you to thrive spiritually. So Jesus talks about the negatives, you know, the hard soil, the rocky soil, the weedy soil. But then there's another kind of soil. There's a receptive soil. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a good crop. A hundred, sixty, thirty times what was sown. And what's really interesting, we don't get this because we're not agrarian people. We don't know how this works. But in Jesus' day, in that particular setting, for a crop to produce fivefold, was, that was a good year. Fivefold was a really good year. Tenfold was a bumper year. I mean, to, to say, I got ten times what I sowed, oh, that would, that would just be phenomenal. And so Jesus is like, no, no. It could be, it could be extravagantly big. It could be a hundred times, sixty times. Even if it's thirty times, that's much more than is expected when you sow seed. See, there's this 
really cool verse in Ephesians. With God's power working in us, God can do much, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. We sort of have these little notions around what God can do. Now, the thing about soil, if it's hard, you can, you can treat the soil. There are ways. Like, like if you take a soil sample today, and there are certain places you can take the soil sample, they'll say, oh, it's got too much clay, you need to add sand. Or it's got too much this, you need to add lime. Or it's got too much something, and you need to add this. You can add, there are additives to soil. You can add fertilizer, you can add manure, you can add you know, compost, you can add stuff. You can add stuff to soil. You can soften the soil. If my heart isn't receptive... I can soften the soil. Now, <laughs> it takes a little work. You have to allocate time to listen. As I said before, my time with Jesus is in the morning. So I wake up, set my alarm, I wake up, I go get my cup of coffee, I sit on the couch in my bedroom, I have my Bible with me, I, I have my Bible, I usually read it on my tablet, and I have a little note card that I have beside me. Here's why. The second thing is I have to eliminate distractions. I don't bring my phone anywhere near me. Because we are like Pavlov's dog. And every time that phone beams, I look. I'm just, we're just trained. If the phone is there, I'm going to look at it. So I just don't even bring it over. Now, I'm reading the Word. Something comes into my mind. I write it down. I write it down. I write it down. I've got to write this down. And then I get back. Sometimes what I write down is, hey, this is something I think the God, that the Lord wants me to do, God wants me to do. Which is the third thing, I have to cooperate with what he says. If what he says is, hey, I, need, I want you to do this, sometimes, honestly, now, this is an age thing. This, you, if you're young, this, you won't have to do this probably. But for me, if God says to do it, I have to write it down, and as soon as I'm done praying, reading my Bible, I have to go do it then. Alright, so for me, sometimes it's, uh, why don't you check on your mother? Or why don't you check on this? Or why don't you check on that? So, I'll think to myself, okay, as soon as I'm done, or when I'm driving to work, I'm going to call my mother, check on my mother, because I feel like compelled by God, that's what, he, that's what he wants me to do. But if I don't allocate time, and if I don't eliminate distractions, and if I don't cooperate, I'm not going to thrive. These are the things it takes to thrive. It's just how it works. We prepare the, the soil. Now, here's what's really interesting about this particular story. We're not just the soil. Once Christ comes into our hearts, we're also the sowers of the seeds. And I think Jesus tells this story to say, okay, you're a Christian, and you're living a life uh, in front of people, and maybe you're not seeing the results you want. Uh, if I was the farmer in this story, I'm discouraged. I'm sowing a whole lot of seed, and this is on the path, that's not doing anything, and this is shallow soil, and it's down to do something, but it's not lasting. This is, uh, this is um, weeds, and the weeds are choking it out, and there's some good, there's some good happening. And it's, it's sometimes you do the right things, and you... You think, hey, I, don't, I don't know if this is even being effective or not. And I want you to think about Jesus. Because Jesus always sowed the seeds of God's love every place. It's just, he was really good at it. He was always doing it. 
But then, look at this verse in John 6. From the time... From that time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. And I have to think if I'm Jesus, I would be thinking to myself, my word. And think about from, from Jesus' perspective on the cross, think about what had just happened to him. The, the religious leaders who should have embraced him didn't. They lied about him. They turned him over to the Roman guards. The Romans didn't care about him. They basically uh, they sentenced him to death even though they didn't find him guilty. His disciples had deserted him. Everybody in the crowd was taunting him. Pilate washed his hands of him. I mean, if, if I'm Jesus on the cross, I'm thinking I have sowed a lot of seeds. And even while hanging on the cross, there are two thieves beside him and he's still sowing seeds. What you don't know, what I don't know, look, we, we live the right way because we're supposed to. We, we hope it's effective. We hope our seed, this seed is, is being effective. Think about Jesus on the cross, one lone seed. And yet today, literally billions of people proclaim the name of Christ. One seed, great harvest. This is a picture of sea, uh, seagrass. It's a seagrass meadow. It's in Shark Bay, Australia. It's incredible. Uh, it's about 112 miles, however they measure it. 112 miles. Uh, it, it is the same uh, sort of surface space as 20,000 football fields. They began to do some research. This is what it looks like up close. They began to do some research. How many plants is this? Where, where, you know, where did it begin? So they took, they took a, you know, like a, a stalk or whatever that is, a, you know, a blade from here and a blade from there and a blade from there. And they came to the conclusion that all that 112 miles of, of seagrass started with one seed. We just don't know. You, you, you treat somebody fairly or you do the right thing or you obey God's word in a certain way and you just don't know. You might not think it's making any difference at all, but you don't know. You just don't know. So, if you find today that your heart, uh, your heart is hard or weedy or shallow, then today you can prepare your soil, your soul, to be more receptive. If you find that you are receptive then you sow your seed of God's love every place you can while you're driving, when you're working, when you're at the store with, with, uh, with a server at the restaurant. You, you share God's love everywhere because that is what He wants you to do. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word, the challenge of the day. What a great story Jesus told us. What a great challenge He presents to us. Thank You for how much You love us. I pray that we would live what we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.